Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at Grassroots E-N-V-E-D. Welcome to Green Street, a project of Grassroots Environmental Education. I'm your host, Doug Wood, here with my co-host, Patty. BPA is one of those terms that's come to symbolize the syndrome where a chemical is discovered, patented, and sold to manufacturers before any real testing is done to see if it's safe. A few years ago, you'll recall, it was discovered that BPA, a chemical which makes plastic unbreakable or flexible, had the ability to alter the delicate balance of hormones in humans. There was great concern over baby bottles manufactured with BPA, and as the public grew increasingly concerned, manufacturers sought alternatives. And wouldn't you know it, the chemical companies were ready with a brand new alternative to BPA. It was called BPS, and they promised that this one was safe. So there's been a dramatic increase in the production, sale, and use of BPS. You'll see products labeled BPA-free, which in fact contain BPS instead. So you can imagine the concern when a recent study out of the University of Texas suggested that BPS had many of the same problems as its predecessor, BPA. On this edition of Green Street, we're delighted to welcome Dr. Cheryl Watson, the lead author of that study. She's a professor in the Biochemistry and Molecular Biology Department at the University of Texas Medical Branch. Here's our interview with Cheryl Watson. So to the non-scientist, it seems kind of self-evident that a chemical called BPS might be a lot like another chemical <laughs> called BPA. Are we the only people that, that thought about that? How, how, how did this happen? Uh, well... Since BP, BPA started to get a bad name uh, because of all the tests we did and uh, finding out that it interrupted hormone signaling, um, the usual uh, trick of a chemist is to go back and tweak the molecule a little bit and see if maybe you can get rid of, um, you could still have a, a functional molecule, but maybe without the uh, effects of the uh, misbehaving one. And so that's what they thought they had done with BPS. Right. And um, from a chemist's point of view, uh, they were looking for something that wouldn't leach out of plastics as readily. And they did indeed, in BPS, find a compound that was not as readily leached out in, uh, of the container. Um, but the problem is that it is so incredibly potent that even if a little bit leaches out, it can still have these effects. And that much does leach out. So, well, that was that was my question to you, and that is um, how much of it actually um, does leach out. I mean, I know that it's it's less than than what comes um, um, that's what's coming from the BPA, but enough so that there is a concern among the, your um, your scientific and medical community. Yeah, and well, we still saw effect, saw effects in our cells at those levels that do leach out. So. Um, it can be a little or a lot, but if it still does the trick, you still have to be worried about it. Right. So there, are they um, replacing BPA in what products with BPS at the moment? Well, you know, this is one of the problems. Uh, often we have to list the contents of containers for um, foods and cosmetics, for instance, personal care items. Mm-hmm. But usually you don't have to list the ingredients in the container itself. <laughs> And so it's really hard to know. Uh, all we know uh, so far is that it, 
is a component of, especially of receipt paper, mm-hmm. that powdery oh. kind of cash register receipt paper. Right, the thermal papers. Right, the mm-hmm. thermal papers. Um, and we know that it's showing up in human beings because uh, very, very recently uh, people have been measuring the amount of BPS in human urine samples, and it seems to be at about the same level that we find BPA in human urine samples. Which is an astonishingly high percentage. There was a study, a a group in Albany that was tested, is that right? Yeah, I was was interested to see that the New York State Department of Health, um, you know, in Albany actually um, did this test. Do you know anything um, about the test? How it was was conducted and on whom? I don't know how it was conducted and on whom. Okay. Uh, it's pretty pretty standard chemistry, mm-hmm. I guess, to uh, find uh, to have a um, a standard of a compound and then look for that um, same chemical uh, signature in fluids so that, from humans. That Doctor Watson, that ninety-seven percent is that representative of the the percentage of the population in the United States that has BPA in their in their. It's very similar. Really. Yes. Okay. So and again, at levels that at least we see in our very sensitive test systems, are um, instigating these hormonal responses. Let me just ask you a question because this has come up a few times, and that is that BPA actually leaves the body um, fairly readily. Yes, it does. But it's also replaced so frequently that your body really, you know, has a has a, a, a fairly high level of this chemical, either BPA or BPS in it, all, at all That's times. Is that, is, that a, is that an easy way to, um, to uh, you know, to think about it? Yes, we're being constantly recontaminated. Uh, so even though the body does have uh, mechanisms for metabolizing it away, we're just so we have envir- environments that are so saturated with this stuff uh, that we're constantly recontaminated. Okay, so we're finding it in urine samples. Are we also finding it in in blood? Yes, and in BPA tissue? anyway. I don't know about BPS. Okay, but we're finding BPA in blood and also tissue samples. Um. Uh, tissue samples, it's, um, that's a tough one because uh, blood and urine are pretty easy to get, get people to give up for testing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but tissues, <laughs> tissues are a little bit trickier. Okay. Um, and so I don't know of much tissue testing. I'm sure there is some. Right. One, one thing I don't understand is why the manufacturers didn't run these kinds of tests before they assured the, the manufacturing community that this was a safe product. Or a safe uh, is, alternative. Is there, is there an answer for that question? I mean, they have, they don't, you would think that they would do this because they're just going to go through the whole exercise all over again, and we're all going to, you know, take, right. you know, wait patiently for, you know, for for studies to come out so that they can then ban BPS, uh, right. especially in products that, um, you know, that children use, and here we go all over again. I think the answer may be uh, in that we're not used to having very multidisciplinary groups work on these kinds of problems. You know, we have our little science silos where we all work on things that we know about and we're trained about. But, um, you know, I've been meeting lately with uh, chemists uh, in a group that's very concerned that chemists and biologists don't talk to each other 
often, mm-hmm. and we don't understand each other when we do talk to each other. <laughs> and so it it probably has to do with the lack of multidisciplinary attention to these problems like this. And so um, the group that I've been uh, meeting with is actually hoping to change that mm. uh, by um, introducing chemists and biologists to each other, having them help each other understand these kinds of assays. Uh, the, uh, the, the biologists help the chemists understand the biological assays we do, and the chemists help the biologists understand what it actually takes to synthesize or design a new chemical, what the process is. And so we hope by doing that, um, having this communication, uh, that we will actually uh, end up forging a new association that will allow pre-testing of these chemicals before they get to the market, especially in biological terms, uh, because that's what's really, uh, those are the kinds of tests that are missing. I mean, chemists can do tests about whether something leaches from one form to another, uh, from one um, uh, from a solid into a liquid. They're used to doing those kinds of uh, tests, but they're not used to measuring signaling enzymes in cells that have repercussions for functions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I you know, I have great hopes for that, that that may be uh, an answer um, for the future. Um, in fact, I think I uh, t- had uh, told you on my fact sheet about the website called TIPED, T-I-P-E-D, which stands for Tiered Protocol for Assessing Endocrine Disruption. And that's what we're talking about here, interrupting the way hormones work. And that is about that collaboration between chemists and biologists um, and the tests that we think um, are the ones that would be key to determining this, uh, letting chemists know which biologists do these tests and uh, help them understand them and get that process going. One of the things that we hear sometimes from the industry is that, oh, you know, these scientists are measuring uh, levels that are, you know, biologically insignificant. Huh. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about 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 the how how little we how need little, of yeah. this chemical yeah. to right. be how, biologically. How delicate this balance yeah. really is. You know, people like me that have had an entire career in measuring the effects of hormones, the natural ones, uh, this is not a surprise at all that these compounds that mimic hormones or disrupt hormones are equally potent. And, um, And the hormones that we normally have in our bodies are incredibly powerful chemicals. They really do um, cause responses at very, very tiny amounts, at amounts that these chemicals are, um, are contaminating our environments and our bodies. So for people that have worked on hormones, it's not a surprise that things that mimic hormones are actually that potent. And, and to, what, are the, what are the downstream effects of, of, you know, some of the things that you might expect to see in, in human development from endocrine disruption, say, at an early age? You know, if a, if a baby has an exposure during, during, you know, during pregnancy right, or in the first years of life, how might that exhibit itself later in life? Well, 
one group that I'm working with collaboratively has shown in a mouse model that uh, perinatal exposure to BPA um, brings on all of the responses that are associated with development of asthma, for one thing. Hmm. But other people have shown uh, all kinds of effects on reproductive systems, association with diabetes, changes in prostate, uh, changes in neurotransmitter levels and behavior. These are studies about BPA, of course, yeah. because BPS has been around such a short time that we haven't had time to do these studies, which take years, of course. Yeah. I so can, it's yeah. it's interesting. I mean, BPA is a is a hormone disruptor, and I think it could. Can you give us a little history of this chemical? Uh, I think it was developed in the 1950s. Um, it was quickly recognized, as I understand it. I'm not a, a synthetic chemist. Uh, uh, as I understand it, it was recognized for its ability to this small molecule to polymerize, like we expect plastics do. Uh, they 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 um, for our just for our audience, a chain of for small molecules. Okay, polymerize is to do what? If you take a small molecule and you start linking them up, and it makes it into a big long chain. Okay. And and in that's uh, that kind of transformation, it goes from a. I guess a liquid to a, a solid, the solid that we know of as plastic. And there are, of course, many different kinds of plastics. Well, this is, yeah, this is really interesting. I want to ask you, what has been the reaction to your study? Have you heard from the plastics industry? <laughs> or, or uh, uh, you know, have, have, is, this, uh, is this raising the same kind of alarms as BPA has done? Are you getting a lot of frustrated people who say, you know what, I, we went to all this trouble and we switched over and now you're telling us? Well, I'm getting an awful lot of interest from the public and from news media, I will tell you that, Good. Uh, because of the experiences we've been through with things like pesticides and BPA and you know our long uh, sordid history of finding out uh, that chemicals in products are are disrupting hormone action. Um, I have not personally heard much from the uh, the chemical industry. Um, Do you have I don't know whether that's coming. I don't know whether they're, uh, yeah. they're uh, organizing Waiting or, or what. But certainly we have a history in this field of hearing from them. Sure. Uh, they come to scientific meetings and dispute our findings or ask us to um, repeat or reiterate or carefully reevaluate um, the uh, responses that we see. Um, certainly it's uh, not always been a very friendly interaction. That brings up an interesting question and something I want to ask you. Are you doing follow-up studies to confirm what you found in your first study, or are others doing that? Uh, well, the, the, um, it looks like uh, just in the time that we did these studies and wrote the paper, there were other studies coming out. So I think everybody is um, beginning to um, pick up on this now. But of course, it takes a long time to do a scientific study and write it and get it published. So it'll, it'll, it, it's starting. It'll trickle out. Um, um, can you uh, just give our listeners um, a little bit of information about how, I mean, why BPA is used in plastic food and beverage containers and food, BPS, and BPA? Mm -hmm. I mean, why either both of these chemicals are used and in thermal papers. I mean, what is the advantage of using them? And would it be just perfectly fine not to use them at all? Well, I'll have to guess here again what, uh, 
what the chem, synthetic chemists and the manufacturers think about, because I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. But um, in the absence of any input about how they act biologically, then you naturally do things that, uh, say, polymerize the fastest, probably, uh, cost the least to produce, so they're cheap. Uh, are easy to handle, are heat-stable, you know, all those kinds of things that you would look at mm-hmm. just in testing a, uh, something that's going into a product sure. that would make it convenient and cheap to produce, I would assume. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm, I'm imagining <laughs> the, what, you know, what their criteria must be without really being trained in that area. Yeah. Right. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Cheryl Watson, for being our guest on Green Street. And I did want to re- mention again to our audience the TYPED website. W- what did you say that stands for again? It's a tiered protocol for testing endocrine disruptors. Okay. And, it's and, and that's what the, we think these chemicals do. They disrupt the endocrine system, which is the hormone signaling system. And so the- tiered protocol for uh, endocrine disruptors. What do you do when you go to a store and they <laughs> hand you a thermal receipt? Do you just say, no thanks? Uh, I ask them to drop it into my bag and I try to touch it as little as possible. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, these are the, these are the uh, things that we um, all live with every day. I can't not take my receipt <laughs> if I uh, want to keep track of what I've put in my credit card, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I guess we're, so I try to handle these things as little as possible, just like I try not to eat canned foods anymore mm-hmm. and try not uh, unless it just becomes too inconvenient, like yeah. during travel or something. I try not to drink out of the plastic bottles that they, uh, that are composed of BPA. All things uh, that we try, yeah. I, you know, try to recycle things, but, uh, you know, we have to stop producing them. Re- recycling is not enough to compensate for this. Okay. Uh, but I live in the same world you do, and yeah. it's pretty po- impossible to avoid. You've been listening to Green Street, and our guest has been Dr. Cheryl Watson, professor in the Biochemistry and Molecular Biology Department at the University of Texas Medical Branch. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street. Thanks for listening.